Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Good morning, folks. This is Trot's Life for Tuesday um, as we wind up towards night two of the Summer of Glory. And we will be uh, looking at those fields. They'll drop about 11.30. We will not look at them. Well, we might while we're on the line in the first hour to the big cat, the feline, Matty Lapard. Um, but I'll have a good look at him right at the end of the, uh, the first hour. As usual on a Tuesday, got a little breezing with Bond to go with. Uh, Tim O'Connor's also going to join us in the second hour with other guests. Um, unfortunately, gee, it'd be great, wouldn't it, if we could get some uh, synchronicity between Captain Ravishing's trial at Bray Raceway, Ballarat, while we're on air here for Trot's Life. But I would imagine doing some bucket maths that, in fact, that trial will probably take place about 10 or 15 minutes after we're off air. But um, if he's strolling around, swaggering around Ballarat, Sock man should be able to have a chat with somebody uh, associated with the stable before Captain Ravishing goes out and uh, ask them what they expect and all the rest, and he'll have the update there. And also some other breaking news from the Talk man. One, um, one interesting uh, snippet to come out of uh, Saturday Night's Racing was the post-race interview with Greg Sugars after Just Believe One. We found out that Visionary, the lease is, uh, the lease is going to be up on Visionary very soon. And uh, it sounds like, Pat Driscoll, I'm not going to put words into anybody's mouth yet. I'll wait for uh, talk and his information, but might be reclaiming a lot of uh, the mares that might be out there, um, bring them back and and uh, get into the uh, the breeding the breeding system again with those ones. And Visionary, I think, is one of those uh, square-gating mares that he's going to do that with. But we'll get to all that a hell of a lot later. For now, here's a brace. It's a little bit of a convoluted one, which won't shock people. I'm getting a little bit convoluted. But here we go. As a lover of words, a logophile, if you will, I've always prized pithy phrases and aphorisms in a way that many don't. Despite this fact, there are many axioms and adages which I have found in my 43 years on planet Earth that simply don't ring true. One such saying attributed to Mark Anthony declares that if you do what you love, you'll never work a day in your life. I love it when people say that. Many folks subscribe to this dictum, but generally only those that don't actually love what they do. Deep down in the recesses of their souls, even when things get tough and exhaustion reigns supreme, most, if not all, harness racing trainers and drivers love what they do. Why would they do it otherwise? For the money? Please. Does this mean they'll never work a day in their lives? Absolutely not. Truth be told, everyone that dedicates themselves to racing's relentless pinwheel perch on the precipice of madness in virtual perpetuity. That's a lot of um, alliteration there. Here's the deal, you see. If things aren't going well... In racing, this is. If things aren't going well, you're a failure. If things are going super, you're a cheat. If things are going average, it's everybody else's fault. All the while, and here's the kicker, you're rising with the swallows and utterly spent by the time your horses are scheduled to be loaded on the truck on their way to running fifth or seventh or ninth. Everyone has choices. This cannot be denied. Even those vulnerable souls that were raised in racing families and expected to play their roles from a precious prodigal age may opt to take their leave and search for greener, plainer pastures. Few do, of course, but they can. 
ultimately, above all, the reason that children of children of children of horse people, hogtied by the game, follow their forefathers into war is simple. They're addicted. Sometimes genetically, sometimes otherwise. I'm in the otherwise category, I think. Love it or not, racing life is brutal, unforgivingly brutal, and trainers aren't alone. Lifelong administrators, dilapidated owners, and ramshackle broadcasters like myself all bear the burden of a similar affliction, the addiction. There's an upside, of course. In fact, there are many. If you're listening to this sermon on high right now, you're probably not the standard fare. If you think you're normal, you're probably not. If you're listening now, you're the most dangerous brand of human in existence. You're a dreamer. Racing, you see, has little effect on pragmatists, scientists, and sociopaths. I'm not, most of my mates, I've said this before in here, my partner, Desi G, and, uh, and most of my mates don't, uh, they're not sucked into the racing game. They're a bit too pragmatic for all that. Any practical evaluation will reveal that the overwhelming propensity of punters, owners, breeders, trainers, drivers, handlers, jockeys, and hangers-on will likely lose both their cabbage and sanity as part of their racing experience. Nevertheless, if you're one of the lucky few, grandiose glory awaits. This sense of harrowing hope that myriad racing lovers cling to isn't the only reason they commit to suffering and sacrifice, though it does explain a lot. Without question, the game has changed in recent decades. Once upon a rainbow, racing ingratiated itself into Australian public consciousness because, as a nation, our identity was forged upon a fearless sense of adventure, and horses were central to that narrative, going all the way back to the start. Back then... And the woke folks can tune out now if they please. Men were men and Taming Wild Beasts was a part of what they did. Not toxic, just just men. Slightly after this era, the money men arrived. Let's be clear, most, if not all of these characters, some of whom are still in the game, also loved racing and saw the spectre of winning Melbourne Cups and Inter-Dominions as something which transcended successes of any other kind. These zealots have been more recently replaced. They're still around, but there's a new breed. Now, and this is said with very little desire to offend, Many of racing's biggest players and newest fans are forged from different fires. Many owners are drawn simply to the prospect of glory and glamour on a grand but far from unattainable scale. They see racing as a, a swagger pot, uh, somewhere where they can uh, they can stand tall and don't have to be a billionaire, billionaire necessarily to do so. Many punters play the ponies as a type of swaggering sport as well, one that may be played at the bar rather than the court arena field or stadium. They get around with their mates and it's... They don't really have to know the form that well. They just um, listen to a few of us, uh, us uh, good and bad hipsters, and and uh, and try to beat their mates on the punt. None of these details matter, really. All of this is cool. Indeed, it's more than cool. It's necessary. If we didn't don't broaden the horizon and broaden the church, then um, racing couldn't go on anyway. So it's good to have them all here. Nevertheless, it must be remembered that those enjoying the fruits of racing foliage should also respect and revere those that tend the vines. I have little doubt that those who see any of the three codes as their escape or find themselves in the formative stages of falling in love with what many call the great game wistfully wonder about just how super life would be if they chucked in their day jobs and lived the racing dream. Look at it over the horizon and say, I'd love to be a trainer or I'd love to be this or that or the other. For some, this actually would represent Nirvana. For most, however, it wouldn't. Not at all. As referenced above, training is an act of manic masochism. Driving or riding, as in a jockey, is crazily consumptive and dangerous to boot, while breeding is the third sign of madness after talking to oneself and growing hair on one's palms. And pro-punting, well, we'll talk to Matty Lapart about this a little bit later on. 
even in an alternate universe where you're good enough to try pro punting, you'll soon learn that it's far more grind than glamour, far more exhaustion than ecstasy. Even what we do here at SEN Track and other media platforms is painfully punishing at times. Racing, you see, unlike cricket or footy or pretty much any other traditional sport, doesn't ever sleep. There are no sabbaticals. There are no silences. We know this going through an extremely long period of feature racing right now. Don't ever for one second, ever, interpret these words or expressions or epithets as my way of moaning about the life I've chosen. I love it. I love this game. I love being involved in it. I love the people. I love the sport. I love the job. And I love the lifestyle. I love it. The point is simply this. If you find yourself benefiting from the wonders of racing... Spare a moment for those putting on the show, not me or anyone on air so much as the horsemen and women who passionately take the field. Don't abuse them when you drop $20 and it doesn't work out like you've spent a 1000 And yes, I know most of us at some stage or another have lied about how much we've won or lost or bet. So I had 200 on this thing when you really had $15. Um, don't get yourself into a muck lather over that and abuse these people who work so hard to put the show on for you. Don't deign to know things about their intentions when you're likely uneducated in doing so. The number of times you'll be at a bar or a pub tab and somebody will say he's hooked that thing um, or, or, or uh, she meant to get that beaten, please. It happens, but very, very, very rarely. And don't view their lives as lavish wonderlands when they generally work exponentially harder than most CEOs. And when I say most, I mean just about all. So that's the breeze for today. A little bit of a uh, vending of the spleen, uh, a little bit convoluted, but the point being uh, it's uh, particularly acknowledged at the moment with so much feature racing going around in the trots that uh, these people work extremely, extremely hard. And it, it is a dream job in many ways to be involved in racing. But if you think, if you think it's easy in any way, shape or form, it's not. And, uh, and if you don't show the people who are putting on the show respect, then uh, you're not respecting the game in general and you're not respecting uh, them or yourself or, you know, the enjoyment and, um, and passion and happiness you get from the great game. All three codes, Thoroughbred, Standard Breads and Greyhounds. Time for a break. When we return, we'll discuss the life of pro punting a little bit with Matty Lepard and get all of his tips from right around the grounds. Hello and welcome back. I was running to Gareth Hall, giddy up with Gareth Hall in the halls, uh, and uh, I really love that speech. He's uh, he's committed it to memory. He's going to go and use it at his own functions now. Wonderful, wonderful stuff. Um, we've got Matty Lepard on the line. Matthew, how are you, my friend? I'm good, thanks, Jase. How dare you interrupt me while I'm trying to work out my trades for the week for the Harness Race in New South Wales fantasy competition? Oh, my Lord. How, how, have, you, how have you started? Yeah, okay. We're two weeks in, so it's 25 weeks long, so it's a long season. But we're two weeks in, and I'm coming 10th out of about 1,600, and we're playing Ooh. for a car. The winner gets a car. Really? Yeah. Well, maybe that could, be, that could be your other car, and then you could then you could teach me how to drive. It would be a wonderful experience for us both, I think. <laughs> um, that's uh, that that's exciting. You know, a couple of times I've been in these positions with um, tipping competitions, but it's a – it's actually hope is a dangerous thing, as they said in Shawshank Redemption, isn't it? You, you, you're close, and that's dangerous because now you're going to you're probably thinking to yourself, "This is going to be a fun little thing that I do on the side." And then all of a sudden, you're dedicating, you're missing races that you're supposed to be punting on because you're trying to work out, you're changing your decisions. You actually want one horse to win. And you're thinking to yourself, "Yeah, but I don't actually need Cam Hart to win this one. Uh, I haven't tipped him, but uh, I need I need him to win this one." It's it's a dangerous game. 
Yeah, that's the thing. I'm just, I'm making sure that it's not affecting my punting. Um, I'm totally doing form separately, and then um, if it gets to a stage where in the run the horse I've backed is not going to win, then I might look at and see if up near the front there's any drivers that I've got in my team and things like that. But it's certainly not my priority. Punting is obviously my priority, but it's certainly a lot of fun. And it, it, I, originally I wasn't even going to have a go at it, but then some mates got me to do a team, and then it sort of becomes a little bit addictive, sort of looking at which drivers have what drives for the week and um, and cheering them home. So, um, yeah, there's a few other good prizes there other than car. There's a few, um, like, holiday weekends away to the Eureka in September and some mm. um, some big Harvey Norman vouchers worth 5000 and 3000 and things like that. So I think the prizes are down to top 10. So um, I've started okay, but as I said, it's a long season, so it can all fall apart pretty quick if you uh, if you sort of don't stay on top of it. Is it all secret squirrels, or could you announce what you, the t- your team is right now? Um, no, I'd rather not. But yeah, okay. one thing I will yeah. say, I know that I know that up in the Riverina, Blake Jones and Jack Painting, they're avid listeners of this show, or yeah. they were a while back. And um, in case Jack's listening, sorry, mate, I've had to trade you out this week, um, but I've left your mate Blake Jones in. So um, if you if you if you have a good week this week, I might get you back in next week. But just for this week, I've had to trade you out. So sorry about that. I made Blake my. Uh, you know, you got you got you to have your favourite driver. When you when you first sign up, they ask you for a, a favourite driver. Did you, did you go through this process? Um, I don't think so. You wrote, I, you wrote, you wrote down, my name's Matt Lepard, and this is my email address, and this is my phone number, and this is, uh, and then they they make you pick a favourite driver. But are you, oh, did we? Okay, Blakey was uh, mine. So hopefully you are listening, Blakey. So it's a bit of good news, a bit of bad news there for you, mate. You're out of the team, but you got you got my uh, you got my not as a favourite driver now. Um, Tell me a little bit of something about this. So, for uh, for a long period of time, while we had the uh, the cattle available to us, we had a wonderful time here on SEN Track with the Tuesday tutorial and uh, teaching people about what it's like to be a pro punter. But as uh, I was just opining uh, uh, about it as part of my breeze, so there, there were a couple of things that I was attempting to do with the tutorial. One was educate punters about. Um, all the different techniques that people, and there's more than one way to skin a cat, particularly these days. There wasn't once upon a time. There is now. There's a lot of different ways you can win. Um, punting personality, trying to trying to guide people so they they went, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm a little bit more uh, big cat than, than move side bottom, or I'm a little bit more Darren Carroll than Tara Tom, uh, and try and work, sort of mix and match and work out what works for you. But another big thing that I was attempting to do in a weird way was to um, – Educate people about the fact that unless you're absolutely dedicated to the task, A, you've got to be very, very good to start with, and B, unless you're absolutely dedicated to the lifestyle, this um, this glamorous idea of the professional punting life is a bit of a myth. Now, I know you love being a pro punter, right? So it, it's not a myth if you if you absolutely love it, but it, the, the concept that it's some sort of easy game where you never back losers and, and millions of dollars roll in is... Um, I think a dangerous thing to portray, isn't it? Because like everything else in racing, the, the level of work ethic, dedication and time it takes and um, psychological fortitude is, I think, a lot more than probably people on the periphery often understand. Yeah, as you said, it's certainly not the glitz and glam that people might think it is. They're, most pro punters are working from home, um, which means they're sitting in an office on their own all day and... Um, 
like sure their their wife or family might be around the house, but in general it's a it's a lonely existence and and therefore when things are going bad, then it can be a very difficult situation mentally to put lonely. yourself in and so for for example, the last four days i've done um i'm twenty seven thousand down across the last four days, so that gives you a gauge of like sure, I really want to bounce back today, but if I have another losing day, then there's five, um, four out of the five last losing days, and I might be thirty grand down across that five day period. So, when you're sitting at home on your own in the office, it can be a very, very tough situation to be in when things aren't going to plan. Sure, when things are going great, they're great, but it's not uh, as as rosy of lifestyle as what people might think. But at the same time, I, I worked for ANZ for nine years in finance after university before I went full time with the trots and. I can't ever imagine myself going back and working uh, an office job like that. So I, I do consider myself very lucky to have found something that doesn't feel like a job that I can still make good money off and, and essentially enjoy the lifestyle. But as you said earlier, it's the sort of thing where the more you've got to dedicate yourself to it and the more you put into it, the more you're going to get out of it. But that's the same thing in most things in life. But if you look at any uh, self-employed person or a sole trader, um, even if someone's uh, running their own business and they're a, they're a plumber or an electrician or something, the more hours that they're putting into it and the harder they work, the the luckier they're going to get and the more money they're going to make. And and essentially that's that's my motto as as a pro punter: the more you put into it, the more you're going to get out of it. But the, the the tricky balance is now with a family life with wife and two kids. You've obviously got to find that happy balance and make sure you do um, things as a family and not do harness racing twenty four seven. And that's the key. Yeah, but I mean, there's a, there's a lot of points there, but um, yes, I think that uh, that isolation is a massive thing. The ability to be able to work yourself through it psychologically when things aren't going well, and I think even conversely, probably not being able to celebrate with anybody else when things are going well. So things are going terrific, and who you generally turn to? What do you slap the desk and and move on to the next race? Uh, and very much like every other job in racing. So drivers, harness racing drivers really quite often can only connect really, really strongly with other drivers because they know the lifestyle they're leading. Trainers can connect with trainers. And I think you'd agree, and this is why, you know, the functions put on by various wagering service providers and when you get a big night out and you can get to the trots and be around like-minded souls, it's a special experience because only other pro punters really or people heavily involved in doing form for the game, you can probably um, uh, feel 100% comfortable around sometimes, I would imagine. Yeah, and that's why it's important to, to have your sort of your network of, of like-minded people. Sure, you're not sitting in the office with them all day, but um, there's endless messaging going on back and forth throughout yeah. the day discussing racing or discussing, you know, what you like for the day and things like that. And essentially, that's your support network. Um which is no different to all the other drivers who see each other at the races every day, and they're all mates as well. It's essentially, um, your mates within the harness racing game are generally going to be other pro punters that you that are like-minded people that you're messaging throughout the day, bouncing ideas off, um, and and more or less using them as a sounding board when things aren't going well, or or if you you get pissed off by a bad drive, and you know rather than vent on Twitter, it's easier just now to vent to your mates and 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 relieve the the steam that way. I just think it's very interesting. We'll get to the tips in a moment. I just I think it's very interesting because most people are so disconnected to racing. If I'm in the back of a cab, which I quite often am, and somebody says, uh, 
what do you do? And you say, well, I do form for racing. And they say, well, are you a, punt, are you a pro punter? And you're like, no. And you're like, you know all the winners. And you're like, that's not how it works, number one. Or the alternate is, oh, I do broadcasting for racing. Oh, you're the race caller. You call the races. So um, it's uh, it's it's not something that – the whole racing game is not something that unless you're involved in it, people uh, know a hell of a lot about. But why would they? Mildura Race 4 is the – not a place that you probably venture to too often outside of the carnival. Big cat, but we've got three tips uh, up in the Sunrise Room. We start with the fourth event on the card. Who do you like there? Yeah, I've had three bets up there at Mildura, and they're all horses that I think will hopefully be leading their respective races. So Mildura, uh, I don't know if there's a track in Victoria with tighter bends. Um, and therefore, like for a half-mile track, the straight's actually quite long. It's about 180 metres, but the bends are very, very tight, um, similar to what Harold Park used to be. And therefore... It's a very leader-dominated track, and it's hard to make ground on those tight bends unless they've overdone the lead time in the first quarter. So if the leaders can get away with a cheap first lap, then it becomes very, very hard to run them down. And that's why in race four, I've gone with number one, Doug's Chino, um, for Ryan Sanderson. Uh, this is a horse that she, she's not overly tough. She's a six-year-old mare, and she's not overly tough. But over the short trip, the 1790, Jaws Barrier 1. And the key here is drawing Barrier 1, it means that she doesn't have to burn to zip across them and get the lead like she did two starts back when she crossed from out wider, then handed up and got found out late. If she can, therefore, from barrier one, just punch through and get a very cheap uh, lead time in first quarter, then then at the bell, she might be looking very, very hard to beat. Um, the main danger is Martha and Lavinia drawn two. It might have to sit outside her in the breeze. And then a little bit of Henry T for Jack Laurie. It'll probably be sitting leaders back. So it's all going to come down on how easy Doug's Chino gets the first lap because she's not tough, but she does have a bit of speed. So if she gets away with a bit early, I think she might be able to get away with the race. So that's race four, number one, Doug's Chino. Race four, number one, Doug's Chino. We've got six more tips. Sexy's rolling in. Broadcast. Broadcast. Uh, I'll be Desi G. We'll find out what that is during the news. Uh, I might not be able to listen to the news. You might have to listen to the news for me and we'll get back in a moment. It's a big cat. He's got six more tips, a couple more at Mildura, and then we'll go around the grounds. But here's the news around the world right now. That is 100% accurate. It is Jason Bonington joined by Matty Lepard, and I'm wondering whether any second tip for the day in Mildura, we've gone Ryan Sanderson. The favourite he has been driven by... Abby Sanderson, is it a place better? Is he going with this dollar ninety favourite first up from a break? Let's find out. Tell us, Matty. Yeah, I'm siding with Modern Ginger here. This is a horse that uh, it's only had a three. Used to be trained down towards Melbourne, but it's, it's had three runs up in the Sunraiser for Naomi Kerr, and won all of them, and won all of them very, very easily. Um, it's it's a really, really nice horse. So. As long as it's come back from a break, it's it's three months between runs. But as long as it's come back from a break in the form that it that it left in, then I think it might be too good for them here. Um, comes out of gate two, so in gate one, Alistair Lavros for Rita Burnett. Um, it's a handy horse. Probably runs its best races when driven with a sit though, as we saw two starts back at Maryborough where it came from four pegs and and got up on the line at, at a huge price. So hopefully common sense prevails here, and Rita's happy to take the sit on the hot pot. Uh, Abby Sanderson. Uh, she goes good in front. Horses run for her when she's in front rolling along. So I'm sure Modern Ginger will kick away and Alistair Lavros will get its chance from leaders back. But I think Modern Ginger, as I said, if it returns in the form that it was in before a spell, um, it could even be a future metropolitan horse based on what we've seen in three runs with Naomi Kerr. So that's race five, number two, Modern Ginger. Race five, number two, Modern Ginger. So we've gone Ryan Sanderson into Abby Sanderson. 
and I strongly suspect we're going back to Ryan Sanderson for race 10. Am I right or am I wrong, Big Cat? You are correct, Jase. So race 10, we're with number five, Cool Seater. Um, this is another one, a little bit like the one earlier on, where uh, it's got speed, but it's not overly tough. But over the 1790 today, I think Cool Seater probably has the speed to zip across and lead from out wide here. And if it can get away with a bit in front, then once again, it might be just a bit too quick for them. So this is a, a seven-year-old mare who's only had three runs. Its first one was in April of 2019. Uh, that feels like a, more than a lifetime ago. That's Jeez. pre-COVID. Yeah. Um, COVID didn't even exist back then. Uh, and then it had nearly four years off, and it's had two runs back in January of this year for two seconds, uh, where it's led both times. Oh, it, it led first up over this trip, and then second up at Croston led, and then handed up because that was over the longer trip and still ran a good race. I think this is the sort of race where it can lead and hold. Um, the main danger is possibly number one Cavalry, who is yet to break through. Uh, it's had 10 starts. It's it's a consistent enough horse, but not sure it has quite the ability to cool Seater. And Evoca Blues, who's actually changed stables. Um, uh, I saw it was for sale uh, about a month ago, so it's possibly been sold and now finds itself in the stable of Scott Garraway. But it does have speed, but it's very, very weak and doesn't try overly hard. So given that I don't think it'll see the pegs tonight because Cool Seater probably leads, then Evoca Blues is probably not the sort of horse you want to be backing from from the breeze outside the leader. So happy to go with race 10, number five, Cool Seater, to round out a trio of tips at Mildura that hopefully will all be leading. And all for a team, well, a, a Sanderson family member. Um, you've got different types of Morrises to deal with in the uh, in the second race at Menangle. I've got a funny feeling. So BJ Lindini's a former Kiwi who opened really short. They were frightened, and they said, we're going to leave it very short. And now it's just started to move out, and they've come for a couple of others, including a couple of races in Victoria, right moves and the best bourbon. Um Right moves for you, or what is it? No, I've gone off on a tangent here and, and done something that I don't generally do that often. I've backed three horses in a race, all at big odds. Okay. Um, now, the yeah. reason being, so I think the two favourites are too short, BJ Lindenny, number two, and number 10, right moves for Steph Morris. So last week over the long trip, right moves led and was very disappointing. Um, it got ran down and it was, it was a really a poor effort and, and ended up running fifth and beaten home by horses like Orlando Storm and the Best Bourbon who were in this race again. Um, I don't know whether it finds the front today. I think BJ Lynn Denny, who is a first-up horse from New Zealand for Robbie Morris and Kerry Ann Morris, I think it may want to hold the front and therefore post-right moves in the breeze. And right moves is a sort of horse that, le- uh, that likes to bowl along in its races. So there could be a bit of pressure between these two favourites up front. Um, BJ Lindenny, it has trialled for its Aussie debut here. It uh, got beaten by Tough Monarch, who's obviously a former top-line trotter who's yeah. well past it now. But BJ Lindenny's trial only went 158, and I, thought, I just thought its last 100 was a little bit ordinary in the trial. So if it cops a bit of pressure off right moves today, it might actually set it up for a swooper. So I've backed three horses here that are all swoopers, numbers six, seven, and eight. The best bourbon for Grant Forest, a fair de cover for Jack Brown and Orlando Storm for Hannah Rickson. So all of them were around the sort of $15, $16, $17 mark earlier. Um, so if one of them win, it'll be a, a very good result for me. So I'm just more or less potting the two favourites and happy to work around that with number six, seven, and eight, all at uh, big double figure prices. Yeah, and look, most of our listeners will know there's a number of different ways you can. Uh... 
you can fashion that when you want to take on favourites. But uh, so tell me this: I think I'm the only human in the country that has that has ever had a bundle bet. Uh, th- I think the bundle bet um, button is purely there for me. But love, bundle betting is just basically level staking, and and you might get a, a, a touch of interest on top. So are we have you level staked these three, or have you got one slightly above the others, or have you have you ordered them up where? Um, for instance, you might have had um, 20 on one, 15 on one, and 10 on one. I know that the bets would be significantly larger than that, or if you just level stake the lot. No, I, when I do this type of thing, um, when like there might be times when I'll back two horses in a race or, or very rarely three horses in a race, but I'm generally backing them to collect the same amount regardless of which horse wins, which yes. means I'm having slightly different amounts on each. Um, so I backed them at, at price. So the best bourbon uh, was about $16 when I backed it everywhere. Uh, a fair to convert was 17. Orlando Storm was about 15. So I've had very slightly differing, differing amounts on each such that I, I, I've got them all going for equal results. So it doesn't, it doesn't matter to me which one wins. It's the same outcome to me because I'll collect the same amount regardless. So it's easy to work out mm. what amounts you put on. You just sort of do up a little spreadsheet and um, type in some formulas and calculate but how much you want to end up having on each based on what their current odds are. If you want to win um, 100, you want to win 1,000, you want to win 500, whatever it might be. That's yeah. right. Yeah, um, I like that. Um, Menangle, I think uh, Tara Tom system was very, uh, very much aligned with that from memory, and maybe even, uh, even Benny Craig. Right, race four at Menangle. What are we doing here? Um, yeah. So race four. Um, this is a horse that I was never a huge fan of. The horse, it, it, uh, Captain Dorian, is the horse I'm talking about. Number mm-hmm. five. It's a horse trained up uh, Maitland, up which is up around the Newcastle area. However, Lily Hosking, the trainer, she's brought it down to Menangle um, twice so far this year, and that's the first time the horse has raced at Menangle. And it's absolutely grown a leg since it's had its couple of runs down here. It's ran second coming from back in the field to Classic Major in 153, uh, and then a fortnight later, last week, sat in the breeze in 150. The winner went 152.9 behind Have You Checked In? Uh, and Which means its own personal time. It's gone sort of mid-153s. And the last half was 55-2, home in 27-2. So that, that's the outstanding sort of performance for a race like this. And Robbie Morris takes the drive. Grace Pinella suspended, but um, certainly doesn't lose anything with Robbie going on. So I would have thought that if Robbie works forward at the start today, there's a fair chance it might find the front. And on what we've seen in its two runs at Menangle so far this year, um, if it does find the front, it's, it looks probably a good thing. Uh, if it finds the front, I can't see or anything beat it based on last week's performance. So... Uh, it can still win from the breeze based on last week's performance, but if we get the map right and it works to the front, then it could be race over. So um, for those fantasy teams that have Robbie Morris in your team, he could find a few winners today. He's got uh, quite a few favourites. So that's race four, number five, Captain Dorian. Wouldn't surprise me if you're one of those people. We're not going to talk about it. We're not going to reveal the team, but it uh, wouldn't surprise me if you're one of those people. And you might be happy with the next uh, event that we're tipping in here because, again, is Robbie Morris in the cart on the favourite? Wave the bill, Mr. Ibiza for Team McCarthy's been a bit of a drifter. So they started at two thirty and two fifty, but the wound has opened. They're now a dollar eighty and two dollars seventy, and I wonder whether that dollar eighty hasn't come about. The two thirty into two into a dollar ninety into a dollar eighty for Wave the Bill isn't something to do with you, Matthew. Yeah, yeah, I was pretty keen on. It. I thought the two thirty was far too big. I think the fact that Wave the Bill number three is drawn inside its main rival, Mr. Ibiza number four. Um, is that how you pronounce it? Ibiza? Not yeah. Ibiza? No, no, yeah. it's Ibiza. 
Obviously, you've never partied on the Greek and Spanish islands, yeah. Ibiza, no, no. Yeah. I've, been to, I've been to Spain, but I've never been out into the Mediterranean onto those party islands, unfortunately. And I'm probably a bit old to do that. These you've days. never had a glow stick in your hand out there, then you know you've never been to Ibiza. So no, it's Ibiza, no. yeah. Just I've had a glow stick in my hand on Copenhagen at a full moon party in Thailand, though. <laughs> this, is, this could be another whole half an hour. Of, all right, um, you are with Wave the Bill, I think. Wave the, wave the yeah. glow stick and Wave the Bill. <laughs> yeah, so it looks a race in two, and, and the barrier draws the key here. So Wave the Bill is a horse that it's a former Kiwi that started its career here in a blaze of glory, winning two races very, very impressively on a Tuesday as a free-legged pacer. And we don't see them very often, but um, they're the ones that don't wear the hobbles between their legs. So it then galloped and didn't score up twice in a row at very, very short odds of $1.18 and $1.40. So then the stable then put the put the gear back on the hopples and um, and it's now pacing again. So uh, since they've done that, it, it won a heat um, of the New Year gift at Menangle on a Saturday night, which was a metro race. And then in the final where they went 150.5, it led and only got beaten 10 metres by Tasty Delight, who is has come back really, really well from from injury. So watch for him maybe over the Miracle Mile Carnival. But if it can replicate what it's been doing and leading and going 151, uh, it really should be winning here uh, as long as it paces. So Mr. Ibiza was first up last week, for first up for three months, sat in the 1-1 and couldn't run down Arabella Star. They only went 152.4, home in 55.9. I don't think that performance was anywhere near good enough to beat Wave the Bill today. Um, if they both replicate their most recent performance based on the draws and the expected map of Wave the Bill leading, I would have thought a dollar fifty was the right price Wave the Bill. Um, but in saying that, Mr. Ibiza could improve uh, vastly second up from a spell, and I'd never doubt Team McCarthy, but it would need to improve probably ten metres on last week's first up run to give it any possible chance of beating Wave the Bill if Wave the Bill was to lead. So, very very keen best of the day anywhere race seven number three Wave the Bill. And you're still getting a price. There's one dollar thirty. You're still getting a price. So I'd I'd, be, I'd bet now to avoid disappointment. I'm watching the TV. It says uh, Nikki Webster's youngest child has just started school. If that doesn't make you feel old, then oh my dear lord, above one uh, tip at Albion Park as well, please, mate. What do you got for us there? Um, yeah. So Albion, let's go to race number. Uh, it's race number five. Yeah. Um, now this is a horse that they. I can't understand the opening price because. Even though it's drawn barrier seven, it had to open up clear, clear favour. It actually opened up $26. What? Um, so it's been 26 into 290 It's getting in towards the right price now. And it all comes down to what happens early. It's, it's drawn the outside gate, but as long as it paces, which is, it did break after the break at the start when it was first up from a spell two runs back. But as long as it does everything right at the start, it has the gate speed to potentially whiz straight across them here. And if it, does that in play? It'll be trading at around probably the dollar eighty mark. Uh, so I'm not sure why or how they opened up twenty six dollars, but um, it, I, I, I don't know if it'll drift either. Like it, it looks the clear. It's only a three year old. It's a three year old filly um, for the Daryl Graham stable. Angus Garrard in the cart. So as a two year old, it was actually a pretty handy two year old. Showed very good gate speed on numerous occasions. Led and, and showed that it can run around the 155, 156 sort of mark. Which if it leads today against these older horses in only a rating 30 to 41 race, that uh, those sort of times will be good enough to lead and win here. So as long as it paces at the start, zips across them at the start and leads, then it could be a pretty sweet watch. So. I didn't get any of the $26. Uh, went off very, very quickly. Um, but 
it's it's getting in towards the right price now, but it may even start shorter. So that's race five, number seven, Jillyby Typhoon, and the opening price of uh, uh, the corpse. They they just totally stuffed it. This is that that is a like a one of the bigger goes you'll see twenty six dollars and two ninety, but it's not a go. It's a completely wrong price. It, it, that's that's not, it's not quite Maxi Man opening a one hundred and one and getting into a dollar eighty, but it's close. It's relatively close. Um, before we let you go, Big Cat, thank you very much for your time and for those tips. And we'll get back on a winning track today and and uh, win back that twenty seven large in the space of twenty four hours. Um, very quickly, what did you make um, of Saturday night's racing night? One of the SOG Summer of Glory at Ballarat. I felt like there was some very, very very heavy blows from the two big winners. Yeah, there was some interesting tactics on the night. So in the Trotters race, mm. uh, I can understand Sundon's courage initially wanting to hold Sleepy out, but then when Aldebaran Zeus went up and attacked, I found Ryan Duffy's tactics very, very weird. Um, Sundon's courage is in that grade of race. He needs to take a sit on the first good horse there, which would have been Aldebaran Zeus, but he wanted to kick up and try and hold. So that first lap was brutal. Um, and both Zeus and Sundon's courage both battled on well to run second and fourth. So I didn't. I don't think we really learned anything from Just Believe because he wasn't part of that early burn in the first lap. And then when the pace slackened, he cruised up and, and got the front very cheaply off Sundon's courage. So mm. all we can tell from that is that Just Believe's obviously come back from a short freshen up after the Inter Dominion very well. Um, and I believe he's nominated for this week again. And then yep. obviously we'll go to the Great Southern Star next week. Um, uh, and, and I mean, like the first four home there were all very, very good, and they'll all go to the Great Southern Star, as will potentially Credit Master, Ooh. who he's come up from a break very quickly, and he's going to trial tomorrow at Terang. The plan was to go straight to Sydney, uh, which he, he still may go straight to Sydney, but depending on the trial, there is still some glimmer of hope he may go to the Great Southern Star, so potentially look out for him next week. Um on to the pacing cup, and, and once again, surprising tactics by Cranbourne. Um, the Kiwis tell me that this horse is a a front runner who likes to lead and bowl along, As we and we saw him lead and go really well at Shepparton last week, yet there was a very cheap hand up there to, to copy that. In hindsight, Cranbourne, maybe it just wasn't good enough. Um, it, it had the perfect run leaders back, and, and when the run presented itself at the top of the straight, it couldn't go, and it got beaten 14 metres. But based on what we saw at Shepherd, and I certainly expected Cranbourne to lead. Um, if we knew Copy that was getting the front, then it certainly wouldn't have gone around at about the $4 mark, which it started. Uh, um, but it looked, it, uh, if we knew that it was getting the front, it would have started probably around even money. I, re- I reckon um, this is this is why I, d- I think um, uh, you've got to watch Trot's vision because I know there, there was only uh, – well, they were going on the track. You still had 10 minutes. Nathan, Jack, I mean, you know as well as I, I do – that you don't get – I'll never ask a driver, are you leading or handing up? And they'll go, well, I'm handing up. But it is very, very obvious from what they say. What uh, I'll, I'll give you the code. You, you'll know this easily began. The code for I'm handing up is um, I'll just assess it and if there's enough pressure um, or if one of the good ones comes up, uh, maybe, maybe. That, so that's – that's uh, that's code, and but it, maybe it just went through to the keeper there because I actually was with you. I thought Cranbourne would lead, but when Nathan said that, I, I I'm amazed it still paid four eighty. Copy that. Mm. Um, I think one of the runs of the race was definitely Honolulu Bay. So yeah. if we look at the sectionals, they went one fifty six point two mile rate. They sort of burnt up for the first quarter twenty eight seven, but then they got home 
uh, in 27.3 for the last quarter, and Honolulu Bay was near last at the 400, last and bailed up on the peg. So I don't know what he's run his last quarter in, but it must be somewhere around the 26 flat or even quicker, maybe a high 25s. Mm. So he's going good enough to win a Hunter Cup, but he's the sort of horse that to get the 2,700 next week in the Hunter Cup, he's going to need the right run. He can't lead or breeze or, or probably cop the pressure, but he's got more speed than probably any of them, and he's good enough to win it with the right run. Triple eight. Um, he bounced back. I, I, I just about rode off this horse. I thought he was going quite ordinary through the Inter-Dominion, but uh, credit to Jess Tubbs and Greg Sugars. They've, they've got this horse back flying, and Shannon Nixon and the other owners must have got the thrill of a lifetime halfway up the straight when he loomed up and poked his head yeah. out, and I thought, gee whiz, here we go. A pretty incre- uh, there, was some money, there was some money for the horse, so there was obviously some support indicating that the horse, they think that they've got it right again, and he ran accordingly, so he'll... He'll be a force in the in the Hunter Cup once again with the right run. He probably can't make his own luck, but with the right run in the Hunter Cup, he can be dangerous. And and a horse that made good ground late, Old Town Road, the other Kiwi. Yeah, I think he, uh, I, I think last quarter he he's obviously one to watch for the Hunter Cup as well. So I agree with that. Um, some of the Grimson horses were a little bit disappointing, so I'm sure they'll bounce back in the Hunter Cup. But it's a, it's going to be a very open Hunter Cup. But uh, I think Spirit of St Louis might be the only McCarthy horse coming down. But on what we saw, the ease of the wind from copy of that. And the fact that he can make his own luck, he's he's very very hard to beat next week, regardless of the draw. All right, good on you, big cat. With time to go for our uh, final break of the first hour, and when we come back, uh, we'll get stuck into more Trot's life here on SEN Track. Hello, Possums. We're back. Uh, this is Trot's life. As mentioned, it's funny hearing your your name in full with Jason Bonington. Well, I'm okay with it. Right, let's go through the uh, the fields have dropped. Night two of Sog. Rog, Sog, Summer of Glory. Uh, so I'm going to do what I often do on a Tuesday, almost always, and just give a uh, an instinctive appraisal. Before that, though, text here. Morning, Jason. What kind of money would be required to back a horse from 27 to 1? Uh, we'll get to that in a moment. Into a dollar eighty. and thanks. I found a pre-post Great Southern Star Market from James. Well done, James. Sometimes you've got to be a little bit, um, yeah, Sculpatry. You've got to go down, uh, you've got to excavate and find the markets that you need. Doesn't always work, but often it does. Uh, so $27 into a dollar eighty. Now, the problem here, James, is it's like asking how long is a piece of string because what is most likely to have happened in this circumstance is uh, somebody known to uh, wagering service providers as a smart judge will have had a crack and probably because self-control is always an issue for all humans in life. They've probably tried to put too much money on straight away. Then it's probably clicked into the minds of uh, those that have set the markets and those that are trading. Holy geez, we've made a mistake here. Now, if that happens quite often, what will happen is, uh, Said wagering service provider, WSP, WASP, will let you on for a tithe or, you know, a, a, not a great deal of what um, you're trying to get on. And then they will click over and go, uh, that 26 or $27 goes into uh, 5 or $6 really quickly. And then when another smart judge comes on, they, they you know, it, it goes down pretty quickly. So theoretically, you'd think a lot of money. But my guess in this circumstance is the liability will not be enormous because they will have tightened it up. But the only pro- the only thing that they've done here, 
is they've gone from 26 into 550 into 480 into 370 into 360 into 290. So um, there'll be more money invested, uh, more liability at the 550 or the 480 than at the $26. So hardly anybody would have got on at the really, really, really crazy price. And then probably rather than read the tea leaves and um, smash it all the way in straight away, they've pro- they haven't quite realized, I don't think, that the horse, truly be typhoon this is, would get all the way down to $2.90. And so they've kept letting people on at what remains an inflated quote, if not the ridiculous opening quote of $26. Hopefully that somehow answers the question. I can't tell you exactly, but it's not it's, – you, you will have more liability and more money sometimes on a horse that is $2.50 into $1.60 rather than uh, $26 into $2.90. So there you go. Um, here's the fields. Race one, not two summer of glory. Tabacourt Park Mountain, Saturday night. Good race. Blood Moon is uh, flying for Team McQuiggan. David doesn't drive that much these days, but he's a very talented young driver. I hope, I, I hope he does decide to come back to the game full time at some stage, but he's pretty happy with his life as it is right now. I think uh, it's the one... Uh, although our lady Lara, Dean Braun doesn't have many horses and uh, when he he generally only has good horses, Braun, Brawny. So uh, I would think that our lady Lara is going to be hard to beat. Bonnie Bell's a nice horse. Um, second line runners here, despite, well, you know, that they're not going to win. Pray tell's not going as well as it can. Sassiolo's going well, but take the emergency out, draws inside the second row. Um, common courtesy, better last time out, but not quite good enough to overcome that draw over 1,720 metres at Vic Harness HQ. So Our Lady Lara, Blood Moon. Um, and then there's the Rikiro Rebel for Lara J Farm, former Kiwi. So throw that into the thoughts as well. Okay, that'll, that'll be tough. I love having to go through the Kiwi replays. Heaps of fun. Race two, never we are stud pace. Uh, Shorty's mate draws one. So what? I catch a black booker last week. Sticky draw in four. Radius Sunday, Celestial Gossip. Captain Belisario will enjoy getting away from Ballarat. Belisario hates Ballarat. Um, interesting runner. He's a son of a gun drawn awkwardly inside the second row. Key and Jackie, interesting horse. Let's rock, let's roll. Big last start win. A good race. Good race. I'm, I'll still probably lean towards Captain Belisario, but gate seven. I think Jack Law will only, he only has one choice here, doesn't he? I mean, you've got to probably roll forward. He just doesn't want to get Captain Belisario over racing and the like, but uh, I'm willing to forgive him for um, his failed performance as a dollar forty favourite in the final event at Bray Raceway on Saturday night or last Saturday night because he did not handle the track one iota. Race three, Outlaw Man, Andy Gath, Gate Speed leader, yep, probably, and that might be the end of the penny section. Where Seggy's a good horse, but drawn out to the second row. Um, uh, Major Watson can't get across. Major Delico, gate speed, but probably has to get back. Rocking with Sierra. I hope that everything's okay with Rocking with Sierra. It keeps getting nominated and scratched. It keeps going into field. Uh, this is three times in a row. Outlaw Man looks to be the first good thing of the night there in the third event on the card. Race four. Tim O'Connor to come up after this break, next break, by the way. Final leg of the early quarty. Is uh, the second heat of the Mercury 80. How about Andy Gathrow and catch a wave into heat one? Wowie, wee, wow. Andy. 
I'll be drilling you about that on Burning Questions this week. Um, Bulletproof Boy, the Mercury 80 final winner last uh, year from memory. He's drawn wide here. Al Boston, loving a Chevy. Loving a Chevy loves these sort of races. Aussie Butler also loves them. Firefox for Grimo. Sheffield Sparky, tough race. Probably still lean towards Bulletproof Boy, to be honest, but not easy to work out those 1,200 metre races. Uh, you do still weirdly want to be at the head of affairs unless you've got heaps and heaps and heaps of class on them, the way Catch a Wave did last week. Race five, Hurricane Hulley's had one run back. It wasn't bad. This is a Casey Classic, small field. Uh, AG's White Sox in two. Uh, Focus tried Rick Riley, Sicario, Crime Rider, Jilliby Sylvester, Flying Torrid Saint. Interesting. I mean, I love Hurricane Harley. Gate one, gate speed. I think you can hold AG's White Sox. I think it's the one to beat, maybe, Hurricane Harley, although uh, Torrid Saint's going to get that beautiful run, isn't it? And uh, then Crime Rider and Julie B. Sylvester. Julie B. Sylvester, it would be interesting to see what Glenn Craven does here. Does he just absolutely try and rip off the gate and then dominate his way to the front? I don't know that he can. So Hurricane Harley and Torrid Saint, your leading chances there for mine. Tab VL Dullard Trotters Cup. Another leg of the Aurora Australia Series at Group 2 level. Queen Elida. Equal favourite in the market that James and I found for the Great Southern Star with Just Believe. So they're both in it. Um, I think though, I, I think I'll honestly be lynched. I'll be I'll be burnt at the stake. I'll be stoned to death if I I've got to tip Just Believe. Like at some stage you've got to believe in Just Believe. You know, it just keeps winning. Picket fence form line. Bill Collins sprint winner, Inter Dominion Grand Final winner, last Art Cochrane Cup winner. And won the Inter-Dominion Grand Final in the Cochrane Cup off second-line draws. Wide second-line draws. Freak. Um, should be the one to beat, though. I still love Queen Elida. <laughs> Will I get sucked in? Maybe. Majestic Man's got really epic gates, but we know that. And loves racing here on Australian soil. Loxley Lover. Last start, Group 1 winner. Um, can't be denied. Uh, some chance. Yeah, interesting race. And Elder Berendino. Uh, he's a work in progress. Queen of Light or all, just believe maybe, but gee, can well, speed maps will be crucial there with Majestic Man as well. Race seven, VHRC Caduceus three-year-old classic at group two level. Uh, dangerous versus school captain versus Soho Seraph. This is a good race. School captain deserves to be the clear top rider, you would think, um, along with the Lost Storm. They were head and shoulders above everybody else, so... Uh, dangerous is a nice horse, but uh, school captain for me, pretty clearly. Race eight, finally, of the quality. The breakthrough pace final. How they beat better zip, I've got absolutely no idea. Jason Crimson's unearthed another future grand circuit horse uh, based on his first run on Australian soil last weekend. I love Hooli in the end, but uh, wide second line draw, unless something bizarre happens here. And it won't. The only I'll tell you what, the only little caveat here is if Serge Blanco decides to fly the gate, can beat better zip it out, and parks it. Hmm. Just keep it in mind, people. Race 9 is a penultimate on Saturday night, night 2 of the Summer of Glory. As we head towards the Hunter Cup the following week, and also the Great Southern Star. Central Otago is a big improver of recent times. Chinese Whisper, both trained by Andy Gath. Chinese Whisper, based on what he's doing at the moment. And I did think this early doors when he first came over here. Should be the winner. He's the only horse off the second row. He'll probably just hang back. He's got speed to burn. He's the best horse in the race, and I think he'll be winning. Uh, and race 10. Final event is a tough one. The get-out 56 to 69 rider for the Square Gators. Carnera gate speed. Um, the two Chris Anko runners gate speed. Namoska just hangs back. Uh, 
Leanne Leanne's a blaze for Bobby Kuchenmeister, isn't she? I've been by Shawnee the other night, but to tell you what, she's a blaze. That's going to be one of the hardest races on the card. I'm probably leaning towards Leanne Leanne at this point. Can probably breeze and beat those horses. Can. Should. Bromwich in there as well. That's a uh, peripheral, instinctive, intuitive uh, appraisal of the 10 races on Saturday night at the counter's headquarters, but it'll be my job and everybody else's uh, to go home tonight. And between tonight and Saturday night, do all the form and try and find all the winners for that program. Time for a break. We'll come back with Tim O'Connor, who is on track at Bray Raceway. Um, to give us a little bit of an update about what he's learnt as Captain Ravishing goes to troll on his way to the four-year-old Bonanza next weekend. Back in a moment. Hello and welcome back, people. Um, we're having fun here. It is the Tuesday edition of Trots Live on SEN Track. You'll have the Wombat for the next couple of days. And then, obviously, uh, Dan Malicki and I will be back for the Friday form panel. But a man who did a sterling job on the Trots Vision panel on Saturday night at his home deck, his new home deck of Ballarat. And he's back there right now as Tim O'Connor. And he's eagerly waiting. It's almost, you're standing there, talk waiting for Captain Ravishing to turn up, almost like it's like the Beatles arriving in the in the 60s in Australia. It is. It's like, um, yeah, well, it's like it's like any of those big events, like uh, waiting for Novak Djokovic to walk in the, uh, the Australian Open Alex precinct. Alex is wishing or... Novak Djokovic didn't turn up last night. <laughs> That's right. No, it is a bit like that. I've been poking my head around the stables, and he's not here yet, the great horse, but uh, he will be here soon. There's been no whispers uh, anywhere that he's not coming, so uh, he'll be in trial seven, J-Bond. Trial two is just about to get underway, uh, so he's probably about an hour away, I guess, from uh, his first public appearance for the year. He hasn't raced since November 19, of course, when he smashed the Melton track record on a wet night sitting parked, and... If he wasn't already, he really stamped himself as the sport's most exciting horse. And he is, um, uh, he's a glamour puss as well. So you've got uh, great horses uh, over the years uh, in both codes that are, you know, aesthetically not as um, dominant. Little Ladies in Red is obviously a great example. And I'll uh, I'll never forget the time that I was at uh, Flemington for the Turnbull Stakes and uh, around the parade ring, everyone was looking at Winks and... All these people are going, oh, I tell you what, it, she just looks amazing. She just, she's so beautiful. And you're like, she just looks like a horse. But Captain <laughs> that's, Ravishing. That's where I sit. <laughs> Ca- Ca- Captain Ravishing uh, looks like a really good, like he's got, he's got presence, hasn't he, as well. So um, it, is, it is a pretty amazing feeling. It's been a while, I think, since we've been at the level where a horse turning up for a trial has garnered this much um this much exposure and I guess this much anticipation as we head towards the four-year-old bonanza and beyond that, likely the chariots of fire. That's, that's right. Uh, look, I, I've been at HRV two years now, Bon, and uh, that was just sort of after the ride high um, hype. And that, I mean, I followed it from afar, but I guess I haven't seen the sort of hype, I don't reckon, around a horse since him and certainly in my time in this job I haven't uh, I mean ladies in red of course she's wonderful um, there's just something about Captain Ravishing that you know he's he's more freaky than her um, and he's just I mean yeah I don't know I can't really put my finger on it but there's just something about him uh, he's got a cool name <laughs> which is one he thing um, you know he comes from the powerhouse stable he's done uh, there was a big hype around him when he started at Emma and Clayton's and he stepped out here at this very track I was here doing uh, an SEN show I think it was Friday Friday night trackside with Damien Watson and 
I ran into Dan Malecki before the race. I said, there's a bit of a whisper around that this Captain Ravishing has gone to a new level. And that was the night he went 25 flat uh, or 25-1 home uh, and really stamped himself as a superstar. And then he went on to break track records at Kilmore and Melton and um, that big uh, win in the Derby heat, I reckon, over Leap to Fame sitting parked. It's, um, yeah, he's... He's something else. Uh, I just hope he can live up to it. I'm sure he can. Um, it's just about keeping him sound uh, and getting him through to the big races. The four-year-old Bonanza, of course, will be his first stepping stone on February 4th. Yeah, no, look, I went as far as the Chariots of Fire, but clearly the Miracle Mile uh, will be the try and win the Chariots of Fire and then go through to the Miracle Mile and win it as a, a four-year-old. And I think I was on air with, uh, well, a, a, a full cast of talent. And the question was... Um, was asked, I think, by Ryan Phelan uh, after a win from somebody else, who would be your tip in the in the uh, in the Miracle Mile? And Brittany Graham and I both said straight away, Captain Ravishing. He's yep. um, he's just he's got that excitement about him. There's no doubt about it. And you you tend to think that he will be even better suited up on those vast Menangle expanses, don't you? I mean, you never know, but when you've been around the game for a while, you can almost vibe out who's going to enjoy Menangle and who's not. And he with his just blistering straight line speed um, we, we just want to see him trial brilliantly today and then go and win the Bonanza and then we start uh, we start wondering about what he might be able to do in those few weeks up in Sydney that's right. I mean, you, you, you hear how often do you hear it in, in racing circles? Oh, you know, we, we can't wait to get him to an angle because you know we think he'll get, show his best there. I mean, you hear it a lot. Most good horses, you know, are probably going to appreciate it. But look, there's clearly you know a horse with point to point speed. Um, you know, and that that fast big track there at angle it's it, it's uh, conducive to fast times and he runs them on on littler tracks down here in Victoria on you know on nights where there's rain around and it's cold and there's it, just nothing to say that he won't absolutely blow that track apart so uh, look the Bonanza looks you know to be honest looks his for the taking doesn't it I know we're going to have some other good horses in the race we'll have something to say about that but and then he'll head to the Chariots of Fire and then on to the Miracle Mile you would think so um yeah, he's an exciting horse. I can't wait to see him. Look, uh, look, he's not going to be here to do anything outrageous. Mark Pitt, uh, he's down to make the trip down uh, from Shepparton away to drive him today. So that's um, that's going to be good too. I'll catch up with Mark after, hopefully, to get his thoughts. But look, it's it's going to be exciting just to see him. I would imagine they'll just uh, uh, roll to the front, will they? Sit him up and, and dash home for a quarter, and he'll probably uh, smash the clock. But they won't be asking much more. I wouldn't have thought. Question without notice, but who else is in that trial? Uh, I've got it here yeah. in uh, a bit of a, a bit of a shuffle, but there's a horse by the name of About Time, uh, trained by Jason Grimson. Jason's down to drive the horse, so there's Jeez. four horses in the trial. About Time, Captain Ravishing, and two from the Joe Pace stable, Forty Thieves, and Supreme Dominators. Forty Thieves, do you remember that old boy? Yeah, brutal, uh, brutal. Seen him for a while. Well, he, he just sort of went to another level in that in his last one or two preparations, didn't he? He's um, He's a go-forward horse. He loves to just pour pressure on. Be interesting to see how hard they hit him out. And, gee, about time's a really, really fast horse. Really fast horse. Used to be, I reckon, with... Uh, he's with Emma. Or, uh, his, oh, last Emma. With Emma. Uh, think, so his last start was with Emma. I think through a couple of uh, stables. But, yeah, Jason Grimson, if we've learned anything and we learned our lesson, again, hard... I did. <laughs> Play hard. Well, I, I think I did a little bit as well. You were probably a little bit more um, wanting to take better zip it on, but we learned our lessons hard that he doesn't take these horses. I made that comparison between he and uh, Billy Bean from um, from Moneyballs. Somebody who can. It's not only the training, but the identification of these horses. Because I am 
I'm certain, without knowing the full details, that people must be offering Jason Grimson horses. They must be jumping out of trees to give him horses. And he obviously oh. is knocking most of them back. I think I heard uh, a story, and I can't remember the horse now, but it, look, it wasn't a top top liner. But uh, the person I was speaking to said that they'd offered him this horse and uh, were a bit taken back that he didn't want it, basically. Uh, and it was a nice horse. I mean, not many people would have said no to it. I can't remember the name, but... I think he made reference to this person I was speaking to that, look, he doesn't want to be a big stable. He wants to be the boutique stable. He wants to be able to travel with little teams, be hands-on with them and chase the big races. He doesn't want, you know, 70, 80 horses picking off races every day of the week. So, yeah, um, he'd be getting stacks of offers. He's the hottest trainer uh, in the game. That's a bit unfair on Emma Stewart, but she's well-established. He, uh, he He's the new... I mean, probably him and Jess Tubbs, I'd say, Bonner, the two that... Uh, are really emerging, just off the top of my head anyway. Um, now, before we go to the news, and we'll come back and get some more news headlines from you, um, after Captain Ravishing hopefully wins the four-year-old Bonanza, I don't know when you want to try this, but you did uh, regale us with an anecdote uh, not so long ago where after Captain Ravishing had begun his miracle run, you might have had a conversation out at the uh, the unbelievable Ballarat stables of the genius t- uh, pair Clayton Tonkin and Emma Stewart and asked Clayton to compare Captain Ravishing to Ride High and I believe quote unquote the phrase was um, Tim give yourself a, an uppercut uh, for comparing the two <laughs> but I'll tell you what I don't know. If the, I don't know. I, I don't I'm going to ask it again. I, I, I'm, I'm going to ask it again. I, I, don't I might get him up a <laughs> I don't know whether you want to do it now or you want to uh, wait till he wins a race or uh, uh, this, the, the four-year-old bonanza. But I tell you what, I, I, I don't know. I don't know that Clayton would still be telling you to to, to clench a fist and give I, yourself I one on the chin. You, you're pretty. You've pretty much got it right. From my memory, I think he. I was standing next to him and Alan McDonough, who works at the stable, and I think he said, "Alan, give Tim an uppercut." Oh. And uh, I got on my bike and got out of there. No, <laughs> um, I reckon I. I reckon I might get a slightly different answer. That was before. Well, I'm sure it was before he broke the track record at Melton. Um, I'll ask it again at some point in time, maybe from a distance. But uh, I think it's a, certainly a question worth asking because. Um, what do you reckon? What do you reckon right now is is he got the potential to be a ride high or better than ride high, or are we still jumping ahead here? No, well, I, I, look on the, on the available evidence of what he did at Melton uh, on British Crown Night. Got to be in the conversation. Well, you couldn't, no, no, not ride high. Not any horse could have gone better. I don't think. Don't think so. I don't think. No. I, don't, I don't think any horse could have gone better that I've ever seen. So. Um, I don't, I don't. I don't mind if uh, Clayton is an incredibly intelligent man when it comes to the game. There's nobody smarter, and if he still thinks right, but you, but we are all, um, we're all subject and we're all vulnerable to having our favourites, aren't we? And it might be that no matter what Captain Ravaging ever achieves, the ride high will always be Clayton's favourite. But um, I, I think we've ducked down from. Alan McDonough swinging, uh, <laughs> swinging fists at you to maybe, okay, it's it's more of an opinion game at this point. Tim O'Connor on the line. Now, a lot of the news headlines, we're probably just going to discuss them from a uh, an opinion perspective, really. Um, but we did hear, I mentioned earlier about uh, the post-race interview with Greg Sugars after Just Believe won the Cochrane Trotters Cup. And I was shocked to learn that uh, Visionary would be leaving the stable. But there seems to be a, uh, a swirling vibe that... Patriscal, who I think um, uh, gave out the lease on the on the Philly mayor, is sort of reclaiming a lot of those mayors and 
Why not? Because guys like him and Duncan McPherson and um, and plenty of others have have done such a huge job in trying to internationalise the the breed, and other people are now benefiting, but they want to benefit as well. Yeah, so she's uh, that was the sort of quick little comment that we uh, we both raised our eyebrows at, didn't we, on the on Saturday night when Greg dropped that news. Uh, she was a last start winner in the Vic Bread Super Series four-year-old trotting mares final uh, that took her record to 23 starts, seven wins, four placings and nearly 100000 in cash. I was going back through, but I wasn't sure, but uh, the Iona Trotter Syndicate uh, looked like they've had her the whole way through. Um, I'm not exactly sure how it's all worked, but they certainly owned her for uh, her first win at Cranbourne going back uh, May of 2021. So yeah, I'm not sure the exact circumstances. Greg is here today. I might try and grab him, but I just haven't been able to yet. He was driving uh, in the opening trial. Uh, but, uh, yeah, certainly looks like there's a move for Visionary. And uh, no doubt Greg and Jess will be disappointed to lose her because she is very, very good. And uh, to, speaking to some of the staff there over the you know recent months, um, you know, I think they think she's right up there with the, the really good ones, including Just Believe. Yep, I, uh, I, I tend to agree based on... What I've heard, and but it's not only what you've heard. I mean, she is just she's what you see. improved so rapidly that, and we're even seeing with just believe potentially that um, you know horses improve and improve and improve, and until they stop improving, you don't know what level they get to, do that? Do you? I mean, even just believe, crazy as it sounds, with what he's already achieved, um, Greg and just haven't had him that long. No, they've had him four, uh, one, two, three, six, seven starts. Oh, sorry, Vision they've had for seven starts. And I think um, they've only had just believe for 11. Probably a dozen or something, yeah. yeah. Um, we spoke about the ride that the Iona Trotter Syndicate are on. Um, how about that? I was talking to um, Ian, uh, who takes the photos, Ian Wilson, for, um, for around some of the tracks. and Woolridge. He was saying... Sorry? Is it Woolridge? What did I say? Wilson. Yeah. Ian Wilson. Sorry. That's Ian right. Woolridge. I know another photographer, Ian Wilson. Uh, <laughs> Ian Woolridge. Um, sorry. Uh, he was saying that after the Inter-Dominion series, uh, he had an order for 59 photos uh, of oh, the wow. three heat wins um, and the final, like a big framed up package. But uh, he said he, was, he had a big grin on his face. I think that would have uh, filled the coffers for a little while. He yeah, would have paid for a few... Uh... <laughs> Meals, maybe another investment in a horse. I know Ian was involved with yeah. uh, Doug's Bait. Um, Idyllic, too, I think. Yes, I guess. Got a, a snippet in. Yeah. Uh, um, Just new, another yeah. thing while I'm, I'm looking at two men to my right from the Brent Lilly stable, uh, I thought they were drinking VB cans, but they're drinking Sprite cans. Um, <laughs> we're just uh, in the first trial here. Jay Bond, we had um, Elderbaran Zeus go around. Uh, he's a little bit forgotten, but uh, he's a derby winner from 2021. Uh, he trialled okay to me. He got run down. I think he ran second. One overall, won the trial for Jess Tubbs um, in that. Uh, I think Kylie Sugars drove one overall to a good win there from back in the field. And uh, Chris Alford was partnering Kai Valley Hotspur to uh, a trial here. So good to see him back. He hasn't raced since August last year. Yeah, I, well, I had, I had an opinion... Uh... I had an opinion that... Uh, well, he went Aldebar and Zeus for on a par, weren't they? Well, I thought Kai Valley Hotspur was a better one early. Yeah, I think I think you could make that case for sure. And another man's just walked in as well, Jay Bond, uh, who you know quite well and spent a bit of time with on Saturday night. <laughs> yes. Um, <laughs> other news, uh, Majestic Man, it's great. He just loves racing in Australia, Majestic Man. Um, not that he hasn't done some great work in... New Zealand as well, but he just loves racing in Australia, and it'll be interesting what he can produce here on Saturday night. 
Yeah, that's right. He is here for, I reckon this would be his fourth trip to Victoria. I reckon he's raced here. I had a quick look before. He's raced here in 2020, 2021, 2022, and this is he's back for 2023. He has drawn barrier four uh, for Phil Williamson and his son Brad Williamson in Saturday night's Tab VL Dullard Trotters Cup, a Group 2 race, a leg of the Aurora Australis series. Uh, he'll take on... Uh, Aldebaran Crescent, Sundance Courage, Queen Elida, Loxley Lover, Vacation Hill, Kiang Lavana, Just Believe, and Aldebaran Dino. And um, I read a story from Michael Guerin going back a few weeks ago that basically it all hinged on. Uh, well, basically the reason he's here is because of the Star New Zealand. There's a lot of them going down, Bolt for Brilliance and some other ones not coming out here. So I think they thought, you know, bugger it, we'll come out here. The, the, the ranks aren't. Um, or at least the New Zealand ranks aren't strong. And uh, we'll come over and have one last crack because he's getting on. I reckon he'd be eight or nine. Uh, but he won this race uh, in 2021. So that was really, uh, I think that was Brad Williamson's first group one winner as well. So he's uh, well accustomed to Victoria and good to see him back as he'll certainly add a new dimension to these uh, swelling trotting ranks at the moment. It's quite unbelievable. Yeah, no doubt about it. And um, again, We've got a quaddy jackpot, which we love because we love an opportunity to uh, try and make a killing out of it, as the Punters Podium team did at Ballarat, I believe. Uh, it wasn't an easy one yes. to try and make money out of because there were it was favourites galore. But um, what's the quaddy jackpot we're going to get from the tab? $40,000 jackpot on Saturday night at Melton. Races 5 to 8, the quaddy is, and that's a projected pool of 250k. So I think it was the exact, it's the exact same scenario as Saturday night here at Ballarat. I reckon the Pundas Podium boys tipped in about 7500 into that quaddy. They got uh, they got a bit out of it. I think they made a small profit on it, but um, and they turned the $20 ticket into 30 bucks, which is, look, it may not sound much, but it's, it's not a bad effort when you've got 12000 in the pool to turn that into something like 18 or 19. So they did a great job. And, um, yeah, they'll be uh, no doubt uh, involved, or no, all the punters will be involved in that quaddy jackpot on Saturday night. 40K jackpot into a $250,000 projected pool. I'll tell you what, I've never known. Um, it, it's the ultimate thankless task, at the uh, the punters club. And I've never known a team like the Carroll Brothers to win as religiously as they do. And that's why we got up to the level of... I mean, the pool was enormous on Saturday night, and you just you just wonder if the word keeps getting around that you, you generally get more than your money back uh, every time you go around. And people are not just putting in the twenty dollars; people are putting no, in sometimes no, two hundred, four hundred, five hundred dollars. Well, there's five hundred dollar wax going in pretty regularly. Well, if you're going to get uh, to, you know fifty percent profit on your money, um, why wouldn't you put five hundred in, take seven hundred and fifty out, and and, uh, and not even bother betting for the night and let them do it. But you, you wonder and if... Plenty the word... rolled through the Inter-Dominion Carnival bond. Plenty put it in the start and said, keep it, boys, and we'll, and pay me out at the end. Well, <laughs> well, I, I just wonder. I'm, I'm loving the idea of, you know, you, you've got the boys get paid in uh, New Zealand. I'm loving the idea. If the rumours keep getting around that we're going to get to meetings in six or 12 months' time where they're dealing with... You know, fifty or sixty thousand. I'm I'm not being ridiculous when I say that. I think it's I think it's actually possible if it's promoted the right way. Yeah, I do too. Uh, that's that's sort of with myself, Darren, and a few others have had the you know chats about what we'd love it to get to, and that's obviously where we want we'd love it to get to. Look, it may be a bit of time in the making, but uh, look, if we can continue this, uh, if they continue to keep winning, um, and if we can take it to the big nights, and I reckon down the track, if we can. Uh, have an on-course presence. Uh, there's already been a few little discussions about, you know, a marquee on track near the winning post, you know, put on some drinks and food, get a big crowd there, carry on, 
you know, that's what you want to be involved. I mean, obviously, it's for people sitting at home as well that can't get to the track, but to be around like-minded people, Bon, that love a bet, uh, and you're all cheering on the same horse, uh, there's not much else that's more fun than that when you get home a winner. Uh, I think everyone loves it. I don't think anybody would love it more than you, Doc. Um, <laughs> I'll, let you go, I'll let you go and enjoy, and um, we'll, we will wait for all the news headlines because uh, Captain Ravishing, obviously, not the only good horse going around at the trials today, but he's the headline act, and uh, I'll let you go and enjoy, mate, and we'll talk soon. Great, great to be on, and we'll um, we'll post uh, we'll post the replay and, and some reaction and some stories across the the trots.com.au channels in the next couple of hours. Right now, we have Kima Freddie on the line. How are you, Kimama? I'm good, thanks, Jason. How are you? I'm well, thank you. Um, now we've mentioned a few times when you've joined us that they've got you doing a variety, a potpourri, if you will, of roles at Harness Racing Victoria, but. You yourself um, would have your favourite things to do there, as everybody does, and passion projects. And I would imagine the Team Teal, um, well, team, team Teal or Teal Month is coming up in February, and the whole Team Teal campaign, you attacked it with such vigour and passion uh, last year, and I'm sure it's going to be the same this year. It's something that I think uh, you're very passionate about, and the industry, Harness Racing Victoria, is very passionate about as well. Yeah, for sure. It's, you know, it's such a great course and I've obviously been involved with it um, as a participant and, um, you know, winning races is always a lot of fun, but when you get to win a race in those teal pants, it's, it's always a little bit extra special and um, it's just so great to see our whole harness racing community really getting around it as well. I think every year, I mean, I think it's probably been about 10 years and it was driven by Duncan McPherson following the tragic passing of his um, his late wife, Lynn, to get involved with Team Teal and Women Can and, and the various um, the various different monikers that it's gone under over the last decade. But I think sometimes what we do is... At the end of one of these campaigns, we everyone pats themselves on the back and feels like, oh, job done. But I'm looking at these figures you've sent me, and we are a million miles from having the job done when it comes to um, curing ovarian cancer and even even maintaining survival rates that are anywhere near reasonable. Oh, absolutely. And I think it's uh, that's why we sort of want to really, really, really dump it up this year. It's just such an important course to you know, race awareness about and raise funds about it. It's obviously close to our heart with, um, you know, Duncan uh, and his late wife. And Duncan obviously starting the whole campaign. So it's, um, you know, the more people we can get involved and to raise awareness about it, the better. And it's not just, um, you know, unfortunately, sadly, tragically, sometimes <clears throat> once a diagnosis is made, there, you know, it is terminal. Um, it is the deadliest cancer for women, even more deadly than breast cancer. So in, in terms of research into um, how we can treat and potentially cure the disease is really important. But there's other factors too, isn't there? I mean, supporting the women that are going through it. These sayings or these, um, these epithets, harnessing the power of hope, harnessing the strength of survivors, giving people support to go through the journey. Whether, whether you're able to live um, for 50 years or 15 or whether um, you're not going to live that long, we want people to be able to have a supported journey through this. So all the money that we try and raise doesn't necessarily go purely, I wouldn't imagine, to treatment and cure, but also to looking after the women that are going through this journey with ovarian cancer. Yeah, absolutely. And and like you've touched on before, there's no sort of, you know, with the Prostate Cancer Foundation that we worked with, um, 
late last year, they're sort of, you know, you can do blood tests and you can get a, a sort of, you know, reading on where you are. But with the ovarian cancer, there's no screening test for it. So you've really got to, you know, go. If you're a woman, you've really got to go and get your tests done regularly and you've got to listen to your body and know your no symptoms as well um, to, to just, you know, to be able to stop it, I suppose. Now, we're going to cover the Team Teal, um, the, the campaign really extensively here on Trot's Life and right throughout uh, our media platforms for Harness Racing Victoria. But talk to us about a couple of other key landmarks that people can can look forward to during the month of February and where they can contribute. We've always got uh, the big night at Melton. When's that going to be? And who are the ambassadors going to be for Team Teal this year? So, yeah, there's going to be plenty happening um, this month. So we start on the 1st of Feb and goes all the way on to the 15th of March. Um, our four ambassadors this year is Kate Gass, Jamie Greenland, Karen Manning and Jackie Barker, who have all been ambassadors before and they've done an amazing job. Um, we are going to put out a press release this week where there will be a fundraising link uh, embedded in the press release. So anyone that wants to donate, um, they can just follow that link and follow the instructions. Like you mentioned, we've got the Breed for Speed finals on the 25th of Feb where we'll have a, a big night at Mountain called the Night at the Trot. So if anyone wants to go, now it's the time to, to book tickets for that. Um, the, of course, there's the Breed for Speed heats that are being held at Bendigo on the 9th of Feb and the Bridge for Speed heats at Shepparton on the 15th of Feb. So if anyone's local to those areas this morning, they want to come along for a great night and um, show their support for ovarian cancer, they can do that as well. So there's, there's plenty of happening. And, of course, um, all the female drivers will be driving in the teal pants during that period. And uh, question without notice, but what is the, uh, the contribution? Is there a contribution per win for the Team Teal Ambassadors or not? Yes. So HRV is donating $100 for... See, uh, this is uh, not looking, uh, reflecting really good on me, but I think it's, it's either 100 or 200 but we'll go with 100 for now. $100 HRV will donate for each range from the Winstrup Web and Tab will match that donation that HIV does. And with those four big gun female drivers, there's going to be plenty of winners. There is no doubt about it. It's going to be a, a huge month and something I, um, I I imagine you're going to be liaising with uh, a stack of people. But really what we want to do here is if you love the trots, then get involved with it. If you're passionate about gynecological cancers and the Women Can Movement and the Team Teal Movement, get involved. And we want everyone to sort of come together, don't we? So we want to educate the people in harness racing, which we've been doing for a decade, about the deadly nature of this disease and how we want to help. But we also want to drag a few people into the trots on that uh, big meeting, particularly the 25th of Feb. Some of the people who come for the function are going to see some great racing as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think it's a great, you know, opportunity for the whole harness racing community to really rally and get around it, which they always do. We see them whenever we do, you know, projects like this, everyone really... Um, is super supportive and they really get around there. So um, if anyone wants to come along, the 26th of February will be a themed night. It'll be a great night of racing too. It'll be a cracker and there's no doubt you'll get all the support in the world from me and from SEN Track here because uh, they'll be very passionate to assist as well. Good on you, Kima. 
Thank you so much, Jason. Thanks for having me and letting me talk about uh, this very important course. It certainly is, and it's something very close to harness racing these days and has been for some time. Time for our final break. When we come back, we're going to wind this puppy up and put a little ribbon on it as well. Oh, that's about it, people. Um, the Keep It Friending interview brought to you by Garrard's Horse and Hound, by the way. What's, uh, what's coming up? Trackside, straight after me. A couple of Cams. Cam Luke and Campbell Brown. Campy Luke and the Brown Doggy about to uh, fire you up for some more winners to try and kick your 2023 off in the right way as we head towards Australia Day and uh, and beyond that, of course. Saturday is night two of the Summer of Glory, so make sure to print out your fields or do whatever you need to do. I've already printed out mine, and I'll be ready to go home now and do a fair bit of form. Tomorrow, Wednesday's with the Wombat, then Thursday's with the Wombat, and the Friday form panel as well. Hopefully you've enjoyed. Hopefully we found you a few winners via Matty Lapard. Hopefully we've kept you up to date with the news via Tim O'Connor. And hopefully some of the words I used in that opening editorial – I haven't sent you to the thesaurus. Isn't what I'm trying to do. It's not a smart-ass move. It's just how I like to write. I'm so, I apologise. Um, God bless you all. It's been fun again. Uh, try and find some winners today. And as mentioned, uh, wind yourself up towards this great meeting at Tab Court Park, Melbourne. It's Casey Classic Night these days, but the Dallard Trotters Cup is another of the features. So too the VHRC, Caduceus three-year-old classic. Once we get through this Saturday night, then we go into another gear. Next weekend, Great Southern Star and AG Hunter Cup. Try, if you can, not to miss a thing. Au revoir. Goodbye. God bless.